All right, so Acts chapter 19, if you don't mind turning there, Acts chapter 19. We ventured into chapter 19 a little bit from last week. It wasn't part of my plan. Part of my plan was to be in, uh, actually to be starting the book of Thessalonians. You know, we'd be in Thessalonians today, really. But, you know, the, the flow from 18 to 19, there's no world. I'm not going to put a division there where, the, where there wasn't ever, a, you know, because your original Bibles didn't have chapters and verses, okay? They just don't have that. Um, in fact, praise God for modern Bibles um, that have chapters and verses. You may not like them, but I need them because if you've seen an original text, it's just a bunch of words, all, I mean, hardly any spacing at all, and I need as much help as I can get when it comes to reading books and, and even reading the Bible, um, believe it or not. I, I need those divisions, but Chapter 18 to chapter 19 just all flows together, so naturally we don't want to break that up. So we went into chapter 19, the first seven verses, and then we're going to pick up in verse 8. So just so you know, Paul is on his third missionary journey. You got this other guy out, Apollos. He's doing great things for the Lord. What's really cool about him is um, as great of a speaker as he was, as charismatic as he was, and all this stuff, and his as smart as he was concerning the things about Jesus, he never personally knew Jesus, and then he got saved. And then there were some other disciples within that region. They knew about Jesus, but they didn't actually know Jesus, and then they got saved. And so that really is what leads us into where we're at with Ephesus. Ephesus is a major, major city within the, um, within the Roman Empire, for sure. Um, geographically where it's at it's just situated right on the coast it's beautiful um, absolutely beautiful but it's a key city within uh within the world in which paul was living at this point in time okay uh financial it's like it's like the wall street of of that area i mean all banking and stuff was done through there uh you name it i mean ephesus was a going city it was a, a, an awesome city and paul Longed to get to Ephesus. It was one of his dreams. I want to get to Ephesus. Now, after this, he's going to say, now let's go to Rome, right? But for sure, he wanted to spend some time in Ephesus. And this is where our story picks up. Okay, verse 8. I'm going to read from the New Living Translation. That's uh, what's on the screen too. It says, then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God, right? This is his normal pattern. We've been going through this book and we've seen this Time and time again, this is what he does. He shows up into a town. If they have a synagogue, he goes in there. When the, when the floor is open for anybody to speak, Paul's like, dibs, got it, right? So he's like, I'm on it. So for three months, he did this in Ephesus until he got sick of them, okay? So it says here, uh, continuing on, it says, but some, uh, but some became stubborn, rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. So you have some Jews within the synagogue, more than likely the leaders of the synagogue, they, uh, they just get fed up with him. They get fed up with him and his same message. You keep talking about the same thing. You keep talking about Jesus and you keep talking about how Jesus died on the cross for our sins and how he rose from the grave three days later. You keep saying the same thing over and over again. And Paul's like, duh. Yeah, because that's the only thing. It's a new covenant. What else am I going to talk about? He also talked, he, he was very diligent to show them from their scriptures, the Old Testament, that Jesus was in fact the Messiah. And they're done with it. They're sick of it. 
We don't want to hear, we don't want to hear that psalm anymore. We don't want to hear from Isaiah anymore. We're tired of you talking about Jesus. So Paul, being smart, he, he's already put this into practice to a certain extent. If he's not welcome somewhere, well, then he leaves. Then he leaves. Good thing. If you're not welcome somewhere, then leave. Then leave. <laughs> you don't have to stick around. If, if, if where you're at is hostile and people are just constantly like berating you or making fun of you, especially because of your faith, then leave. No, but if I leave, then they won't go to heaven. You didn't die on a cross to save them. You don't get them into heaven. You don't. None of us. We don't. It's the Holy Spirit who does the work inside of them. You planted seeds. I'm sure you did. You're faithful to that. Now move on. Now move on. Why stick around? Where, why stick around? Maybe the Lord wants you to go somewhere else, plant some new seeds. Maybe to water some seeds that were already planted so that he can cause the growth. Paul, Paul had this down. This is third missionary journey. He's like, what, you guys don't like me? Fine, I'll leave. I don't have to stay here. I'll go start my own thing. And that's what he does. He's not going to leave Ephesus because there's work to be done there. But he doesn't have to keep showing up to the synagogues. If you don't want, and it's not me, if you don't want Jesus, and if you don't want the gospel, then we'll leave. Then we'll take him somewhere else. That's your loss. So he, he, he in effect, he kind of tells him that. Because they're rejecting his message and publicly speaking against the way. The way is another word for Christians, okay? Um, it, it was derived from, from these individuals as, you know, the way. That's the way. And could be connected to the fact that, you know, Jesus had said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, it could be that these Christians were saying, hey, Jesus is the only way to heaven. Um, a lot of connections there. And, but they, they tagged these guys with this term, the way, right? It probably wasn't like complimentary, okay? Regardless, uh, that's how they were known within this region and by these individuals. And so they were speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and took believers with him. Then he held daily discussions at the lecture hall of Tyrannus, okay? Um, interesting little setup here. So he, he's going to basically rent out the lecture hall of Tyrannus. Tyrannus means tyrant, okay? I don't know who would want to be in the school of a tyrant, okay? Plus, he's got those little arms, right? No, that's not, no. Okay, bad joke, right? I, it works in youth group. Um, it works in youth group. So, Tyrannus, Tyrannosaurus Rex. I mean, come on. Um, it's right there. Uh, anyways, this place is available. So, you got an empty building, and Paul's like, takes the believers with him, and he's like, I'm, I'll just start Bible college. I'll just start a school of ministry. You're not using that building? Sweet, we'll use it. And that's exactly what he does. He meets, more than likely, uh, the, the time frame, it, it's kind of estimated. You can't really be dogmatic on this, but it was probably six days a week. Okay, they took a day off. Smart. And, the, and this, this public speaking, this, or, um, this uh, daily discussion type thing, this, I would call it a Bible college, goes from 11 to about 4. So 11 to 4, six days a week for two, uh, for two years. That's what Paul had committed to these guys. That's a pretty extensive Bible college education there. But Paul is, is 
he, he knows that the Lord is doing something tremendous within the city. He has the opportunity to, to invest in these guys beyond what he would have been able to in a synagogue. Synagogue, I get one day a week, one day a week with these guys. But because they don't want me here, I moved out. Well, look what the Lord opened up. Now I got an old, my own place and I can meet six days a week for as long as I want. And I can spend and pour hours into these individuals who want to show up and want to learn more about Jesus. And that's what he did. So he's laying a great foundation there in Ephesus. Okay? Daily discussions, lecture of Tyrannus, a lecture hall of Tyrannus, and, and this went on for two years so that the people throughout the province of Asia, this is Asia Minor, so think Turkey, okay? Think, you know, that region of the, the Mediterranean coast there, okay? Um, in fact, we have a map. Tyler, if you don't, or Tyler's not back. Tyler's right there. Greg, Greg's right there. Um, Greg, if you don't mind, can you show that map? It's on that sermon slide thing. There you go. Okay, so you see where it says Turkey? That's Asia Minor, okay? That's what we're talking about here. Ephesus is right there on the coast. Uh, uh, Athens is right across from there. You can see this kind of creates a visual, uh, kind of a visual image for you to, to understand the geography of what we're talking about here. So there in Turkey, aka Asia Minor, there's Ephesus, and Ephesus is a hub within this, this little world right here. See the little boot on the left-hand corner? That's the bottom part of Italy, in case you didn't know that, okay? So it's shaped like a boot. Um, so Rome's right up there. I mean, this is like a, just a hub of activity. You know, importing, exporting, money coming in, money going out. And, and not only that, but um, just even where it's at, uh, you know, philosophically, just a lot, of, a lot of different new ideas and beliefs and thoughts and tons and tons of religions are going on there. We're going to talk about that in a second. But, I mean, it just really is like the hub of the world at this point in time. So that's where he is. He's in Ephesus in Asia Minor, which is Turkey. Um, and he's going to do his, the school of ministry started by the Apostle Paul right there in Ephesus. Okay. So here's what's happening though. So throughout the province of Asia or Asia Minor there, both Jews and Greeks, they heard the word of the Lord. So because Paul left the synagogue, because he was willing to take a step of faith and leave the synagogue, he goes into this place that's been open to him where he can talk about Jesus as much as he wants from 11 to 4 for two years. For two years, he gets to pour into these, into these individuals. Here's what's key to that. All right, this would be a, an epic fail if you didn't have the rest of that verse. If you, if you purely had Paul set up a, a little church, a little Bible college in Ephesus, and he shared with them for two years, you know, these great theological truths and this core doctrine, right? These things that we, we hold fast to, who Jesus is. He's, Jesus is God. He died on the cross. He literally died on the cross, born of a virgin, came back to, to life, raised from the dead three days later, covers our sins, all that good stuff. If you don't have the result of that, you don't have much of anything. I mean, yes, it would be great for Ephesus. It's great for people. They showed up there. They learned a lot about Jesus. Lives probably got changed and all that good stuff. But it, if it only stayed in Ephesus, it's not making that big of a deal. Here's the beauty, and this is what we call multiplication. Those people taught by Paul 
for two years, six days a week, five hours a day, they went out and told other people about it. Not about Paul, not about the school of ministry, but about Jesus. The reason why word goes out throughout the, it says so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard what? They heard the word of the Lord. That only happens when you leave and you go and tell people about the word of the Lord. That's why these things, you know, the church, the church is, is, is always a sending organization, if it's an organization at all. It's more of an organism, but you've got to have organization within an organism. I mean, that's just how nature works, okay? So if you don't, then things just die, okay? But it should always be a sending organization. You show up, you go out. You show up, you go out. You show up, you go out. That's just how, it, that's the intent. That's the way it's designed to be. It's not like we show up, we receive, keep to ourselves. Show up, receive, keep to ourselves. You're the Dead Sea. There's no outlet. The Dead Sea might be beautiful. It really is. It's very picturesque. But nothing's living in it. And it has no benefit other than a hava and some other Dead Sea products, which make great lotion. Okay, they do. They really do. This stuff is fantastic. I've been there. It's amazing. But it has no... Now, one day that will be solved, right? Because from the temple, a river will flow into the Dead Sea, bringing life, bringing life, because you have an in and you have an out, right? That's how churches should be as well. You, you come, you receive. Paul taught the school of, you know, this Bible college deal. He had people showing up, but they were also going out, and they were sharing. They were sharing about how good Jesus is, how amazing God is, the Bible and, and the gospel. And, I mean, they were just sharing. And that, is, that was having an effect on the whole province of Asia. Th that's our goal. That's our goal. That, that's the goal. It should be the goal for any, in any and every church, right? That, you know, we, we proclaim the gospel, we, we magnify Jesus so that we all go out and we just talk more about Jesus. And we not just talk about him, but we live like Jesus, and we share what we've, what we've received, we give out freely the things that we've received. Like that's, that's the church, that's what you want. You want a good inflow and a good outflow because that's life, that's life. And that's what was happening here. So these people were going out and they were spreading this throughout the province of Asia, having a tremendous impact. In fact, we get a little bit of insight as to how just impactful this all was by way of a really weird story. Right? Don't you love the Bible? The Bible isn't like, hey, here's, here's all the best stories. No, God's like, you know, you know what would be fun for Calvary Galveston in October? Let's, let's do a scary story, right? Let's, do, let's talk about exorcisms. Let's just do that. I don't, I don't plan this. I don't plan out my sermons or anything. It couldn't have been better. I mean, it's October. I don't know what your feelings are on all that stuff, but you know, you, you open up the Bible and you're like, exorcisms? What? And demon, demonic beatdowns? Yeah, it happened. It did. But what, as a result of what? The gospel was spreading. So here, here you go. Even before you get there, here's, here's just another unusual thing. Verse 11. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. 
note this. You're taking little notes. That's, a, that's just one verse. That's verse 11. Um, you need to note this. If you're studying the word and all that good stuff, God gave. God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles. God gave Paul the power. Paul didn't have the power on his own, okay? It's not within Paul to perform all these miracles. If God's not giving Paul the power to do the miracles, the miracles are not happening, all right? And these miracles are unusual because they've never really happened before. And do they continue to happen like this? I don't know. I don't know. I think there's a reason why the word unusual is used there because it's not standard. It's not normal. It's not normal. When somebody's sweatband is healing people of sicknesses, that's not normal. And that's kind of gross. That's gross. I'm, I'm sorry, but no, I don't want your sweatband, Apostle Paul. But some people, that was, a, that was a point of connection for them. Okay, I'll explain that. So you got these miracles, right? Verse 12 says, when handkerchiefs, handkerchiefs, or I call them sweatbands, or aprons that have merely touched Paul's skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases and evil spirits were expelled. This is happening in Ephesus. Like, this is madness. So there's Paul doing school of ministry. Probably, we don't know. There's a good chance that he's still building tents. Because why is he wearing an apron? He's not a barista at Starbucks. He's not like dishing out lattes and stuff. He's probably building tents. And he's got a sweatband because he's sweating like crazy. Because you build tents, you get sweaty. But people were taking his sweatbands and his aprons and they were throwing it on their sick their loved ones gross gross i'm sorry but look i i work outside uh, you know a couple of days out of the week right um it seems like most days out of the week when i got a mowing day and i walk in nobody in my house wants to touch me like i'm covered in sweat like i'm eight hours of sweat i mean it's just built up on me and they walk in, and everybody's like, oh, don't, don't, don't touch, don't touch. And I get it. I get it, right? And here are these people. They're following Paul, and they're like, get that handkerchief. Like, he just dropped his, yeah, get that bandana. Paul just dropped. Get it. And then, I mean, just throwing it on sick people. And they're getting healed. This is not, like, fake. This is not phony. This is not, well, maybe they had, like, some sort of psychological disorder, and this was just, like, all this. No, no, no. This was, like, real healing happening they had real sicknesses real diseases real demons and they were healed why it's kind of like that story in the gospels where you have this sweet lady who has had this problem with bleeding for so long and she knows jesus is walking through the city and in her mind she says if i can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. Was there anything magical about his garment? Nope, not at all, not at all. It's just, it's just a piece of cloth. There's nothing magical about it. Should we go dig it up somewhere? And, and no, no, don't do that. It doesn't, it's just a piece of cloth. The point is not his garment. The point was the connection, the faith connection she she knew if i could just touch the hem of his garment she knew the healing comes from jesus 
And she knew, if I can even just get as so much as close to him as just to, to touch the, you know, part of his shirt, that's more than enough to take care of my problem that all these doctors can't fix. And she got there and she touched his garment. And he's like, hey, who touched me? And the disciples are like, are you crazy? There are crowds around us. Everybody's pushing in and touching you. He's like, no, 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 no. Somebody touched me. And then she grabbed that, she touched the hem of his garment, and she came forward, and, and she was healed. Nothing miraculous about his garment. Nothing at all. But for her, it was like, if I know he can heal me, if I get there and touch that garment, that, that's more than enough to heal me. These people, they knew like, man, if, if I can just, just something that has been in contact with the Apostle Paul, because obviously God is doing great things to him, if I can just get in contact with anything that has touched his body, that's more than enough to heal my loved one. Or the, the, the sick one that may be saying, look, I don't care what it is, give me his, his sweaty bandana, whatever it is, I know that God can use that to heal me. It was a point of contact. It's, a, it, it's kind of like that faith connection for these guys. What I love about this is that God healed them. There's no like rhyme or reason to it. And you can't like put a formula on this stuff. Because there are guys who have tried to put formulas on these things. You can turn on the television and they'll tell you like, look, just put your hand on the screen, right? And you get healed. You know what's funny about that? I was listening to a podcast this, this past week. And uh, um, it's a Calvary Chapel podcast. Um, and it's not, it's Bill Holdridge. Bill Holdridge. I don't know if you know. I went to school with Nate Holdridge. Nellie and I went to school with Nate Holdridge, his son. Um, Calvary Chapel, Monterey Bay. Uh, Bill Holdridge goes around and he helps out churches now. He was interviewing this guy who mentored him. He's an 80-year-old man, and he's having some leg issues, right? He has to get up and walk around. He has a, a nurse that kind of helps him with that. But his leg was causing him all sorts of pain. And he's like, you know what I did? And he's just, he's a very solid, biblically-based guy. He's like, I turned on the TV, and there was this guy on TV, a preacher on TV. Um, and this, this guy, he's for 80 years, you know, for 60 years, he's been a preacher, uh, pastor himself. And he's like, and, and this guy said, he said something along the lines of like, hey, look, you know, just, just pray this prayer after me. If, you're, if you got some aches in your body or whatever, just pray this prayer after me. I feel like the Lord, you know, will, you know wants to heal you. And he's like, you know what? He's like, I think I'm just going to do that. I'm going to pray that prayer. Prayed the prayer, went to bed, woke up, leg pain's gone. Like, leg pain, like they couldn't figure out what is causing his leg pain. Wakes, wakes up, and his nurse, who has to help him walk around, the Sadie Yoga man just pops back up, and he's like walking with no issues. And she's like, what happened to you? He says, well, let me tell you about Jesus who healed me. Sometimes the Lord uses these things. Sometimes he uses this stuff, okay? There's no, I don't think there's any kind of rhyme or reason to this and all that stuff. He, he just, I think it's, it's one, one way of him just saying like, look, you think you got me figured out? Think again. Think again. Oh, the Lord will never use that. And he's like, well, maybe I will. Maybe I will. Maybe that's what that person needs. Maybe there's nothing magical about the pool of Siloam. But they believe an angel comes down and stirs up the water and everything, and the first person in gets healed, and they get healed. Maybe that's just how I want to do things. And we all be smart to just be like, you know what, Lord? May your will be done. How about your will be done? Instead of me trying to figure out all this stuff, just do what you want, God. Just do what you want. I'm just along for the ride, and it's a thrilling ride. 
I'm just, help me to know how to hold on, right? Because this is the craziest roller coaster I think any of us have ever been on. So here, this is going around. Sicknesses are being healed. Evil spirits are being expelled. This is also further uh, conf- uh, just establishing the fact that Paul is legit in this message, this gospel message is legit, okay? Um, confirming what, that the fact that God was actually in and behind this thing. Here's where it gets funny, okay? This, I find this story a little bit comical. Um, you might find it a little bit intimidating or scary. I don't, I find the humor in it, okay? It's just one of the, any time I've gone through this, I'm just kind of chuckle, right? Because I just, immediately my imagination starts working out and I'm like, oh, what a sight to see. I would have, I'd pay anything to be there for this, just to watch this next story, but whatever. Um, verse 13, a group of Jews traveling from town to town, uh, itinerant Jews, okay? They're, they they kind of cruise around. They, this is how they make their money. They're going from town to town, casting out evil spirits, all right? So that's their gig. They're traveling exorcists. This is who they are, okay? That's, that's, a, weird, that's a weird job to have, okay? It's, I don't know if it's financially lucrative today, uh, but these guys still exist. They still exist. They're still traveling exorcists. They will show up and they'll cast a demon out of anything and everything, right? If you got the money, oh, they'll find them and they'll get rid of them for you. Kind of like the Ghostbusters, but... I don't know, maybe on the same level as the Ghostbusters, but they're traveling around. This is how they made their money. Maybe successful to an extent. We don't really know. Not in this story, though, okay? I, I don't know if this is the first stop or if this is one stop around of many cities. They end up in Ephesus, and here's what they do. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation. Okay, so they hear... There's this Apostle Paul who keeps talking about Jesus and they're taking his sweaty bandanas and all this stuff and they're throwing it on sick people and demon-possessed people and the demons are coming out of these people. And the connection is there's Paul and this Jesus he keeps talking about. It's got to be the magic word. Jesus, that's the magic word. Okay? So they work it into the little sales pitch, right? A little sales pitch for demons, okay? Hey, you, I'm going to negotiate with you. You need to come out of this person. Why? Uh, because of Jesus? I don't know, right? Not a lot of confidence, not a great success, not a, not a great plan, okay? Um, they tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, that's the key, whom Paul preaches, or who Paul talks about, or who Paul knows. I personally don't know the guy. But I know a guy who knows that guy, so I'm going to invoke that authority, all right? It doesn't work. It does not work, okay? Come out, to come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, they were doing this. But one time, when they tried it, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who are you? You can understand how terrifying that would be, right? You're in the house. You got your buddies, you're like, okay, here we go. This has worked before. I don't know how it's worked before, but it seems like it may have worked before. Maybe on lower demons or something. I don't know, but they show up and they're like, okay, here we go. You know what to say? Yeah, okay. Uh, Jesus, yay, the Jesus that Paul knows, that Paul talks about. In his name, you come out. He's like, excuse me. Um, I know Jesus. I know him really well. I even know Paul. But I don't know who you are. 
And in one sense, it's like this demon speaking from within this man is saying, like, who do you think you are? I know those other two guys, but who do you think you are? That's where it gets a little frightening. Okay? Now, here's what's comforting about this. These individuals, they do not know Jesus. They don't know Jesus. You know Jesus, I'm assuming, if you do. If you don't, well, we need to fix that today. But if you know Jesus, you have no fear. I don't care how scary the demon is. He's got nothing on you. Nothing. Because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. Even if Satan himself shows up on your front door, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid. Why? Because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. That's why. Now, if you're going around trying to represent Jesus and you don't really know Jesus, then you should be afraid. Then, then individuals like that should take warning. Because it may not turn out well for you. Okay? Like for these guys, they had cause to be afraid because they don't know Jesus. They don't know him. You can't represent somebody you don't know. You can't speak for somebody you don't know. You can't live for someone you don't know. It's not going to work out. Either you get frustrated because you can't figure out the disconnect, or something does happen to you, and then you abandon it all. You need to know him. You need to know him. And for believers, this whole, you know, demonic realm type stuff, demonology and all that. Listen, there's fallen angels. That's a reality. That's real. There's a spiritual realm that surrounds us. That's real. Demons, they're real. Angels, good ones, they're real. That's, but we as Christians, you don't have to walk in fear. You don't have to walk in and be afraid of that type of stuff because of, because of Jesus, simply because of him right? And, and we don't even understand. I think as, as Christians, you know, you can go back to some of the Old Testament stories where you have individuals who are surrounded by a host of heaven, right? I think as we as believers don't even understand what, what even God has placed for us or surrounding us just protection-wise. A third of the angels fell from heaven. Two-thirds remained. The bad guys are outnumbered. We don't even need the two-thirds of the hosts of heaven. Jesus alone is more than enough to combat the one-third that rebelled. You're going to be all right. You'll be all right. Okay? These guys, not all right. Okay? Look what happens. I know Jesus. I know Paul. But who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leaped on them. He's attacking them. Overpowered them. This is like seven dudes. One guy, seven guys, overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled out of the house naked and battered. Like, what happened? Like, now listen, I've been in some of our, um, our officer out there. I'm sure he's encountered some stuff too. If you've ever been around any individuals um, high on some sort of drug, you understand that. I mean, there is, there's sometimes this thing that happens, and I don't care how many guys you got on this this dude, I mean, nobody can overpower this guy. I've been in those situations. I've seen those things taken. Like right in our church foyer one time. I mean, it took several guys to get one guy just down. 
And there's this thing that happens, and I've witnessed it even with kids, even with teenage, teenage boy. And, and was there a demonic influence with, with that case and, and drugs too? Yeah, I'm sure there was, but man, I don't know what it is, but there's just this power that's there, and it is insane. Insane. That's why it's good to know Jesus. That's why it's good to be in Christ, and Christ in you, okay? These guys don't know Jesus, and they end up, you know, getting beat up by this demon. I mean, and they run out of this house. They got no clothes on, and they got beaten up, and everybody's like, what is going on? <laughs> like, what? Wait, that's, there goes the Ghostbusters. Like, they're gone. Like, where'd you guys go? Must not have worked. Um, it didn't work for them, but it did work for Ephesus because God can use a crazy story and use it to, to trigger a revival, right? So here you got these guys run out, and it says this, um, verse 17. The story of what happened spread quickly all throughout Ephesus. Of course it did. Of course it did. That's gonna, if that happens in Galveston, everybody's going to know about it, right? Did you hear about that one guy beat up those seven guys, and they all ran out of the house naked and beaten up? Yeah, you're going to hear about that, right? So word spreads through Ephesus to the Jews and the Greek alike. A solemn fear descended on the city, and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored because of this story. That's crazy. That's crazy. You got sweat rags healing people. You got exorcists who don't know what in the world they're doing. They're getting beaten up, and God is getting glorified the whole time. It's, in, it's crazy. We think it's got to be so clean and so sterile, right? Preach this message. Everybody gets saved. Revival happens, all that stuff. That's not how it works. That's not always how it works. Sometimes revival breaks out in the weirdest of situations. Look, look what happens for these guys. So it says that the story spreading through, solemn fear descends on the city. The name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices, which there were many in Ephesus. And a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books or their spell books and all this other type of stuff and they burned them in a public bonfire. This is book burning that's going on here. Now, this is not a government-issued book burning or a church-issued book. This is people just saying, like, you know what? I'm following Jesus now, and I, I've been holding on to this. So I'm just going to get rid of this because this connects me to the old life, and I don't want any more connections to the old life, so I'm just going to get rid of it. I'm just going to burn it up, and that's what they did. It says the value of the books was several million dollars. Several, anywhere from one to five million dollars is the estimated value of the material that they burned. And you might be thinking like, well, what a waste. Why not sell it? And not all that many can go to the church or go to the poor. No, get rid of it. Burn it. Get rid of it. Get rid of it. Just, just get rid of it. The point of it is this. The Lord is doing something within your life, and there's something that we all have those mementos. We all have those mementos, like those things that I've carried into this relationship with Jesus. Are they, necessary, are they always necessarily bad things? They're not always bad things, but are they things that keep you holding on to the past life? If they're things that keep you 
holding on to the past life or, you know, rolling down that road of like, you know, nostalgia and all that good stuff. It's never as good as you thought it was. I'm sorry, but it was never as good as you thought it was. Your brain has tricked you into thinking it was as good as you thought it was, okay? I would love to go back to some of those days. But then when I really think about it, I'm like, it probably wasn't all that great. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Your brain likes to trick you, right? It likes to sugarcoat a lot, especially the past. Just be done. Just be done. There, there was a, a point in time in, in my walk with Jesus, um, like coming into the relationship with Jesus, I... Uh, I, I love, I was 90, you know, well, I was born in 79, right? So I'm technically, I don't know, like an 80s kid or whatever, early 90s, rap, hip-hop, ah, oh, I love it. Oh, man, so good. Um, and I had a collection of all these CDs that I can never play around my Christian friends because of all, because they tell me this is bad, like, what are you listening to? And I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? It's good, good music, right? good beats, good hooks, and all that good stuff, like, there was one time I was just going through, and I, I, you know, and listen, whatever music you want to listen to, listen to whatever music you want to listen to. I don't, you know, sometimes, you know, I put on my Michael Jackson Thriller album on my record player because sometimes I just love a little bit of Michael Jackson. A little bit of that beat is just, and the guy was a pretty, uh, pretty you know, amazing performer. But I, I had this box of memorabilia, I would say, from the past, from the past. And it was all CDs. And um, there, there's not a single one of them in there that I could ever play within the presence of my wife because of all the, um, all the words that were dropped on a lot of these songs that were demeaning towards women. And so I'm looking at these CDs and I'm thinking like, you know what, I just, why am I holding on to this? Why am I holding on to this stuff? And it, it, it doesn't matter of like, well, James, you know, as a, you know, a Christian, you, you, have, you, can, you can listen to what you want to listen to. Listen, all that, all that argument is stupid, okay? It's all dumb, right? In the sense that it came down to a personal conviction between me and the Lord, right? And I had to deal with that. I don't care what you thought about it. I had to deal with what God was telling me, and I, he and I do business, okay? So it came down to it, and he's like, why, James, why are you holding on to that? And I was like, well... Because of all those good days. He's like, good days. Good days without me. Were they really good days? I mean, there were fun experiences, good memories and all that stuff. But when you boiled it down, not many of those days were good days at all. They were miserable days. And I could see it through each and every one of those albums, those CDs. Because every one of those things would represent something that I was grasping for and I was reaching for and purpose and hope and peace and some sort of significance within this life, meaning. I never, not a single one of them. They brought me temporary joy, but not a single one of them delivered on what they promised. None of them did. So I'm looking at this box of CDs, and you know, the Lord's like kind of convicting me in my heart. I could have kept the CDs and never listened to them. I could have done that. You know, I could have done that, and that would have been fine. But I was like, you know what, Lord? And I, here's the other thing, because this is how I think. I could have taken them all, and at that point in time, there was a system going where you could take and you could, you know, sell back your CDs to, like, 
Hastings or, you know, whatever other music store out there, and they give you not hardly anything for them, but at least I got back some money, right? Because I've spent a lot of money on this stuff. That was going through my head too. And there was not peace within my heart even about that. And I was like, dude, just deal with it. Just get rid of it. So I took them, and I had fun with it. I didn't burn them because that's probably dangerous and toxic, burning CDs. I don't think that's recommended at all. Um, but I took my baseball bat, my Louisville Slugger. Um, I threw up a CD, and I smashed every single one of those dudes. And I had a blast. You know what? I don't miss any of them today. I don't miss any of them today. Um, and again, I don't, what you listen to and all that stuff, what you read, listen, you need to be in tune with the Lord in your relationship. Okay, now there are obviously some things we should not be watching, obviously some things we should not be listening to, obviously some things we should not be reading, duh. That's, I think that's common knowledge. But there's some things where we're like, well, I don't know. Can I read this? Can I not read that? Can I listen to this? Can I not? Listen, how about you just ask Jesus? And if he says no, move on. And if you're holding on to something like these guys, well, maybe it's time to throw it in the fire and just move on. I can say from personal experience, you're not going to miss it. You're not going to miss it. These guys needed to make this statement. They needed this, this, this moment within their life. They needed this, this revival to happen within their city. And, and, and they, were, they, they, they weren't even breaking out the calculators to calculate how much of, you know, millions of dollars they were wasting, quote unquote, by throwing these into the bonfire. They're like, look, the Lord has come into my life. There's been a drastic change within my life. I am moving on from the old ways and I'm pressing on into a new way with Jesus. So all this stuff, this all represents my old life, and I don't want it anymore. I don't want it around me anymore. I don't need those reminders. You and I have plenty of reminders trapped in here to last you a lifetime. You don't need the stuff. That's what they came to. And so they burned everything. It says, so the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. When we do radical things for the Lord, I think they can have a powerful effect. I know within my life, personally, that was like one of those moments where it felt like, well, I felt like I did something like, I felt good. Like I felt like powerful in one sense. Like this one thing that kind of owned me for a while, I owned it. And I smashed it to pieces. And I felt free. I felt good. I, I, I imagine it was the same way with these individuals as they're throwing that stuff into this bonfire. There was a release. They felt good. They felt free. And it had a powerful effect on their city. It says, afterward, Paul felt compelled by the Spirit to go over to Macedonia, to Achaia, uh, before going to Jerusalem. So this is, he, he's just kind of like, forecasting here a little bit. And after that, he said, I must go on to Rome. He sent his two assistants, Timothy and Erastus, ahead to Macedonia while he stayed a while longer in the province of Asia. So this revival is breaking out. Crazy things are happening. Exorcisms have gone wrong. People are getting healed by sweaty garments and all this good stuff. Book burning and revival. Revival. Like lives are 
being transformed in a way that we've seen little pockets of this happen here and there throughout history. I would put the revival of Ephesus up there with some of the greatest revivals our human history has, has ever known. We just read through it and we're like, well, that's the Bible. It's just the Bible. It's another, no, it's not another story in the Bible. This is a huge revival in a major part of our world that had major impact on this world. We'll see this next week, as I had some foolish plan of going through this whole chapter today. That ain't happening. Um, so come back next week if you want to hear what happens later. But we'll talk about the impact, the economic impact that this action had on Ephesus and the great god goddess, Diana, right? Um, I was going to call this message Dirty Diana, but uh, maybe I'll say that for next week. That's another Michael Jackson thing. Listen, this, this goddess they have set up for her, that's just wild. It's crazy. We'll talk about her next week. Let me read you this story, though. Um, there's, a, the, there's a revival that broke out in 1904, okay? You guys may, may be familiar with it. Um, in Wales, uh, this Welsh revival that took place. Um, there's a whole long story concerning this, but I, I just wanted to read to you guys um, just something that, a few things that I, I picked out of this revival that, that took place, okay? Um, you had an individual uh, who was there. He wasn't, I don't have his name in front of me right now. I'll, have, I'll pull that up next week. But you had this individual who was, uh, he was preaching. He was a, a, just a faithful preacher, and he would preach sermons. And people would say, well, he wasn't that great of a speaker, but he loved the Lord, and he was faithfully delivering the word. And, and he was doing that for, for a while. All the while, as he's leading this church in Wales, he is praying for 13 years. He's praying every single day. He's begging and pleading with God for revival to break out within his little country, okay? With, with, geographically, where he's, where he's at. 13 years he's praying for this to happen. Every day. Every day. Faithfully. I mean, he's just, he, he's, he's just agonizing in one sense. Just begging God, please, send revival. Please, send revival. Revival showed up on uh, one day as they were having a prayer meeting right before, um, they're having this little prayer meeting at church, and uh, as they're getting together with prayer meetings, everybody's getting off subject, we know how that goes sometimes, and you know, it's all very scattered, and everybody's bringing up politics and all this stuff, and, and then this individual says, hold, hold on, hold on, we need to refocus this thing. We need to pray, and in fact, we, we, let's, let's focus this back onto Jesus in the scriptures, and the prayer meeting went silent. It went silent for a while until this little girl stood up and said, I love Jesus with my whole heart. Boom, the fire fell. Her testimony, then other people started standing up and saying the same thing, I love Jesus with my whole heart. And people, and people, that was the start of this revival. That's how this revival began. And it spread. Within the first three or four months, 70,000 people got saved. Within a matter of seven months, seven to eight months, over 100,000 people were saved. It had such an impact from 1904 to 1905, such an impact on the community there Here's some reports of what was happening. 
Um, it says this, this great awakening, this awakening that took place. Um, during the time of revival, police were left with virtually nothing to do and the courts were empty. Defund the police. Oh, revival. That's how you... I love police. Keep those dudes paid. Actually, give them a raise. They have a hard job, right? Them and teachers. Let's maybe reform the education system well, quite a bit, I think, but I don't know. Give them, keep those guys, but give them nothing to do because revival breaks out. Saloons and bars shut down for lack of business. Public drunkenness was almost non-existent. Now, this is a place where these were major problems. Public drunkenness was almost non-existent. Old debts, many long forgotten, were paid off in full. Can, let's, let's get that back. Like, like please, yes. Um, let's do the debts, debts all covered. People were getting rid of debts. Hey, you owe me that, you owe me that 500 bucks. Don't worry about it. What? Why? Jesus, let me tell you about them. I mean, revival. It's just people are getting saved like crazy. Traveling uh, theatrical agencies canceled all their engagements as everyone was in church. Profanity disappeared. Pro now, I don't know where your stance is on that or anything. Like, here's the problem for these guys, coal miners, right? Working in the coal mines and all this good stuff. Their mules quit working because they couldn't understand their owners anymore because they weren't cussing at them. <laughs> they had to relearn the new commands from these owners who became believers and they stopped cussing. The horses and mules quit working. That's incredible. That's amazing. That's hilarious, but that is amazing. They were in complete confusion is what this says. Horses everywhere were in complete confusion. They'd be accustomed to responding to the master's profane shouts and kicks and cursings and all that stuff. It all disappeared. Uh, some of their professional athletes, rugby players, um, there's uh, one, one account of a, one individual, a rugby player, because um, all the cursing had stopped by and large, and one player said a cuss word, and he immediately like repented, and they were saying like, this stuff was happening like all the time during this year, it was the weirdest thing ever, and there's a lot of eyewitness accounts to these things, so it's not like some weird, like made up stuff. What Mar um, G. Campbell Morgan, one guy that I tremendously love and love reading his books, um, he showed up because he's like, I got to check this thing out. And he, he validated everything that was happening. He's like, listen, and he's a very level-headed guy, like very, you know, very kind of even-keeled, level-headed guy. And he's like, the stuff's happening. It's real. It says, um, I mean, it just just continue like these worship services that were happening um you know it's just it's just they were going on for hours and hours and hours and all this was just saying and g campbell morgan says this on christmas sunday of 1904 um, he closed the sermon by saying this and this is what's important for us let no man hear of what happened in wales and try to start it in his own land let no one hear of what happened in ephesus and try to start it in, in your own land here's why why? Because no man started it in Wells. We cannot produce revival. We can only pray that God would be gracious to us and send it in abundance. Ephesus, why that happened? It's because God sent it. There in Wells, 1904 to 1905, revival broke out because God sent it. In your heart, 
in your relationship with Jesus, revival breaks out, it's because God is doing it. It's because God does it, right? It's not something you can muster up. It's not something you can create. We can't schedule revivals. We can't do any of that stuff. It's all up to the Lord on when he wants to pour it out. He did it in Ephesus. It's done in Wells. He could do it again. If he wants to do it in America, he can do it again. It's up to him. I pray that that happens. I pray he does it in Galveston. I pray that revival breaks out in Galveston. More importantly, I pray revival breaks out in this heart of mine and in your hearts as well at Calvary Galveston because this is where it starts. Starting in a prayer meeting in Wales and a pastor praying for 13 years for it to happen. It started in Ephesus when Paul is investing two years of his life in teaching the individuals the word of God and talking about Jesus nonstop. It can happen again, but it starts within the heart of the individual. So we'll wrap up there. Nice little scary, scary story time is over. Um, it's not scary. None of it's scary. Um, listen, you know Jesus, you're in good hands. You know Jesus, you're in good hands. Now my encouragement for all of us is this. Press into that relationship even more. Grow in that relationship even more. Spend time reading the word. Spend time praying. Spend time fasting. Spend time giving. Spend time with Jesus, growing in your relationship with him. Spend time with him. Spend time with him. Spend time with Jesus. You're in good hands. He's got you. He's got you. You're going to be okay. All right? So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this day. I thank you, Lord, that um, if revival happens, it happens because of you. And we know, Lord, that um, we know that that revival needs to happen within our own hearts. And maybe that is happening in somebody's heart, even in this, this room. Lord, I pray for more of it to happen here within Calvary Galveston. Lord, we, we desperately long to see you change our city, to transform lives of those who live within our city and in, in our surrounding vill- uh, cities as well, Lord, just off the causeway there. Lord, we, we want to see this transformation take place, not for our own glory or our own bragging rights or anything like that, but, f- but for you, Lord. We would like to be like this church in Ephesus, Lord, that when you move, Lord, it's your word goes out and your word is glorified and, and you yourself are glorified. So we, we pray for those things to happen within our lives. Personally, corporately, Lord, we, we ask that um, you would send revival within our hearts. Lord, we thank you so much that we are yours. And I think this is missed at times, Lord, because it, it's easy to get afraid. If we're honest, it's easy to worry. It's easy to get afraid. It's easy to be scared by things we don't understand. Whether it be demons or or whatever else, Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that you have us in your hands and that's the safest place we can be. And we have nothing to be afraid of. In fact, your word says, perfect love cast out all fear. And there's no, there's no more perfect love than you. And you've, you've established your throne within our hearts, Lord. So we thank you for that, Lord. Now help us, Lord Jesus, to walk in that reality. 
We don't have to be afraid. And we thank you, Lord, that you meet us where we're at. And even in in strange and odd ways, whether it's sweaty handkerchiefs or whatever it is, Lord, you know how to meet us where we're at. And I thank you for that, Lord. It really does make it exciting that we can't figure you out, Lord. But Lord, I pray that continually, as, as we've stated already, Lord, that may your will be done. In our lives, Lord, may your will be done. On earth, Lord, may your will be done as it is in heaven. So we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying on the cross for our sins. Thank you for raising from the grave. Thank you so much, Lord, that you care about us, that you have not forgotten us, that you're there with us each and every step of the way. And Lord, that you are coming back for your church. We thank you, Jesus. And I thank you for, I just thank you for everybody here today. I pray, I pray blessings on their week. Lord, whatever work has, uh, has for them this week, I pray just blessings upon everybody this week. May they, just, uh, may they just be stoked because of their relationship with you, Jesus, and share that with someone else. We just pray all these things in, in your name, Jesus. Amen.